We just started our study of the book of James, uh, and as we come and look at our text for today, verses 2 through uh, 8, remember I said the reason I wanted to study James is that the apologetic for our world today is not just a message. Christianity is one of a thousand messages. Maybe you're here today and you're visiting and go, well, I'll, I'll, I'll consider Christianity. But the reality is that God has ordained, hear it, believe it or not, the visible church. Redeemer, First Presbyterian, uh, churches, whatever church is out there, the Baptist church, the Methodist church, to be the vessel to bring the gospel. In other words, Spurgeon said the best sermon for people is a sermon in shoes. That when people see you as an individual, you're a member of Redeemer and, and you're, uh, you're out there in the, in the society, uh, in your spheres of influence, that you're seeking by God's Spirit to honor Him with your life. So we can't be double-minded. We, we, we have to be single-minded in the same way we'll see in our text when God says He will generously give, the word there is single-minded. That's, that's what He thinks. And so we need to care for the poor at Redeemer. We need to be concerned about uh, social justice or whatever term you want to call it. But we need to be concerned about the orphans. And if we're not going to do that, then we just have a message with nothing to it. So for some of you covenant children that you're not sure where you are right now. I'm speaking to you covenant children. You know, the reason maybe you're kind of doubting whether what we say is true, A, is maybe we're not living it before you, but maybe it's because you yourself are kind of wanting to go that way rather than the hard way, which is the glorious way of the cross. So James is concerned about us having wisdom. I actually said more than I wanted to before I went to the text. I said, I'm just going to read the text, but sorry about that. I do want you to know why we're doing this, though. There's a reason we preach on stuff. It's not willy-nilly. All right, so I want you to turn to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. It's there in your bulletin. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. The reason we print it is because we believe this is the inerrant word of God. James is speaking, but James is speaking the very words of God. Okay, so come, count it all joy, my brothers... When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously and to all without reproach. And... It will be given him. Let him ask in faith. With no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask God to bless us. Father, in these uh, moments that we have before we come to commune with you in the Lord's Supper, uh, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to the glories of Christ. 
Father, pray for those who don't know you, that you would give them a great vision of who you are and the beauty that's in Jesus. And Father, for us who do know you, Lord, we need wisdom. There are so many here at Redeemer who have so many trials. I was just hearing about our brother Brent Weatherly who has to have another operation who's at Resurrection. And uh, Lord, this uh, trial's been going on for several years for this young father of four and husband. And so we pray for him. But Lord, we ask that you would give us the ability to actually believe that whatever is going on in our lives, that if we are believers in Jesus, it's for a purpose. And Lord, I know that can sound trite, uh, but Lord, it's only trite if it's not true. And that's what you teach us here in our text. And we need wisdom to deal with our trials. And so help us hear from you in such a way that it brings life and hope and not ridicule or condemnation. We ask it in your name. Amen. So yeah, we started looking at James. We we started last week, and here's kind of what we've learned about James, just a little bit uh, for you that are visiting for the first time. Uh, James is the brother of Jesus. James is the brother of Jesus, and Though he was the brother of Jesus, we learned, and you learn in John chapter 7 and other places, he didn't believe, nor did his brothers. I mean, they saw him. They saw the things that he did. And yet, the text in John says they didn't believe. And he didn't believe, ladies and gentlemen, until he met Jesus. Raised from the dead. And then we learned that James was also when the Holy Spirit came because even after they saw Jesus raised from the dead, they believed but kind of didn't believe because you see, you can't believe without the Holy Spirit. You have to be born again, ultimately. You have to meet the resurrected Christ, and we're going to see that here. And so he believed, and not only did he believe, but uh, he became a leader in the church. We saw that last week in Acts chapter 15. There was some controversies about the Gentiles becoming a Christian. What's their responsibility? What are they supposed to do, not do? And, uh, but, you know, it wasn't Peter that got up and spoke. It was James, right? And so he was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. But we also learned that James is writing to suffering Christians who, because of persecution, they were scattered. Our brothers and sisters, 2,000 years ago, they were, they were scattered and they were suffering because the Jews didn't want to have them, because they thought they were part of the Christian cult, and then the Romans didn't want to have them because they felt like their allegiance wasn't to Caesar. And so they're suffering. And, uh, and so James is concerned that in spite of the suffering, you are to move forward, not fall away. And perhaps they were feeling, feeling a lot like the psalm that we just read. So, I mean, saying, hopefully Psalm 73, you sang it, 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 it. You know, if you're suffering in any kind of way, hopefully it spoke to you. But Asaph says this. He says, behold, these are the people of this world. Here's the, the, Asaph is David's songwriter. He's the worship leader. He's like mad over here. But you know what? He doubted. In fact, I'll tell you this. This should be the community where we bring our doubts, confess our sins. But he says this. 
Behold, these are the people of this world, always at ease, that they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. In vain, what good is it to, to really serve you? Now, how many of you are feeling that way right now because of all the trials that you're experiencing in your life? Well, what is the evidence that people were beginning to, to move away and not move forward? Well, um, James says, listen, um, in spite of your suffering, uh, I'm going to give you 54 imperatives, commands. So James is empathetic. Seriously, he's very concerned about your suffering today because you're part of the body of Christ, right? You're, you're part of the Jesus the same way they were. Uh, and you're suffering, and he's empathetic to that, but in the spite of whatever it is that we as believers might be going through, he says, but we're still to be like Jesus. We, we are still to, to walk in wisdom, and, and Christ is made unto us wisdom. Christ is the essence of the Proverbs. He is wisdom from the beginning. So James informs the the believers, uh, listen, brothers and sisters, count it all joy for the trials that you're in. Because these trials are for you so that you might endure and you might mature. Uh, You know, I was reading J.B. Phillips. Let me me read the way J.B. Phillips uh, puts it. I think it's it's a beautiful way. He says, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed and you will find you have become men and women of mature character with the right sort of independence. Now here's the fact. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. In this world, world we suffer. That's, that's the nature of living in, in a fallen world. Uh, because sin has come into the world. And because of sin there's a curse. And the curse uh, is not only outward in the things that come to us, but in our own lives, we understand the pathologies that we have, right? That we're inconsistent. Even the most committed believer is not complete in the sense of going to heaven, but is being made complete, and we struggle in this life. And so we look to Christ to himself. Please understand this was and is a human before 2,000 years ago, was not a human. The eternal Son of God took upon himself a human nature to walk in our steps, to live by faith. And he needed, remember the Holy Spirit came upon him, fully God and fully man. His, you got to understand, his God nature is not helping his human nature because someone must live the life for you. And he learned obedience unto death. So his faith that came uh, from God 
the Holy Spirit comes, uh, leads him into temptation. Uh, and throughout his life, we see that he's a man of sorrows. And that faith, believing in the Father, led him to death because he wanted us to receive the same faith. And so now it's important, if we are really believers, that God loves you so much that he sees a whole world that you haven't seen. And we're like little children. As C.S. Lewis says, living in little mud puddles when we could be having vacations by the sea. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you think your sin is a pleasurable thing and it's a wonderful thing, you, you know what? I, I'm, I'm telling you, you're, you're, you're living in the mud puddle. And what God wants to do with us as believers, he wants us to grow up. And then one day when you're a kid and you grow up and you go to the beach, you go, wow, this is amazing. So God brings these things into our life. And I, listen, I, 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 you know, I think we try to be fairly real here at Redeemer. I meet with people all the time and junior high kids and senior high kids. And, but, but everybody, at some degree... Is in trials. And if you, the old saying, either you've been coming out of one or you, you're in one or you're getting ready to go in one, right? Now, what is the purpose of these things? Well, there's things that cloudy up our witness. And uh, the best way I know to describe this, I'm going to give my three points here in a minute, but, but I'm, I'm trying to get us to understand that James is going to say, listen, ask for wisdom. He's, he's telling you to ask for wisdom in light of the trials. That verse is often taken out of context. Oh, let's he who lacks wisdom. Let him ask wisdom. And, okay, Lord, help me understand what I'm supposed to do with my classes or whatever. And he will speak to those things. But he's saying it in light of the suffering. I mean, who likes suffering? Sometimes our, our minds are spinning. And that sometimes they come just like that, don't they? And you wake up and you think your day's going to be one day, and then all of a sudden they come, and, and, and it's like, you know, we'll see this in a minute, but it's like being punched in the nose. Well, let me, let me tell you the difference between the unbeliever and the secular person, how they look at pain and how we look at pain. The way the secular person looks at pain, and, and again, uh, just to, to quote C.S. Lewis here, he says this, the wisdom of the ancients, it was this. Now listen to this, it's very profound. How I conform my soul to reality is wisdom. But the modern man, the burning issue is how do I conform my reality to my wish or my desires? In other words, if you're not a Christian today, the only thing that you can do, you're doing everything in this world for comfort and ease. And so when pain and suffering comes, it destroys your life. And destroy the Christian's life. You see, when it comes into the Christian's life, how do I conform God's hard providence in my life so that my heart might respond in obedience to Him? You see. And now the best way I best way I know to illustrate it, and I'm, I know you've heard this illustration before, not from me, but you know the the fires, right? The fire that comes to burn out the the dross and, and all that. You, you've heard, everybody's heard that, right? Well, when Mary Beth and I went on our sabbatical for three months, and we, uh, we were in Venice, we took a little boat out to a two- or three-mile trip to this island that was known, and I can't remember it, but all you people that love glass would know the maker, okay? 
Matter of fact, it's been in the family for 600 years. The same factory, okay? And and there's been a male heir for the whole time. And and they learned the skill. Um, But... But here's it was interesting about it. So, so they're taking this glass and they're burning this glass, right? And then it, be, it begins to melt and then they begin to work with the glass to make it into whatever artwork they want it to be in. It's heated up. Well, when that one's cooling, they take the other one that cooled, they put it back into the fire because it's not complete yet. And so they start blowing on the gla- glass, but eventually there becomes this product that uh, goes into the store that they want you to buy, which we weren't suckers, so we didn't buy. And I don't care about glass that much anyway. But, um, but you know, that's not, there's another, that, you know, that's one way, right? God is wanting to bend you to his will to, to make you. That's a, that's a good illustration, isn't it? Thank you. But, but you know, it, what's really interesting, though, there, but when you talk about a window pane, that window pane right there, you know, it's just sand. And, and they fire it up. Okay, and then it becomes a little clearer. But if it's still cloudy, guess what they do? They stick it back in and they fire it up. And, and now, when you look out that window, are you looking at that window pane? Oh, what a wonderful window pane! No, the purpose of the glass is to be transparent, to see through it, to see that lovely parking lot right there. <laughs> this is what God is wanting to do in us who are believers. There are trials and our tribulations that we are to consider it all joy because we don't need to be the nice little piece of artwork. Oh, what a wonderful Christian Hal Farnsworth is. Because I'm not, okay? I've said it many times. If you knew me the way Jesus knows me, you wouldn't like me. But he, he does. But you see, the, the reality is the more we believe the gospel of grace, the more God puts us in those fires, the more transparent we become so that we're not even the issue that people are seeing Christ through us. And that's what we need to be. We need to be a glass church, don't we? You don't need to be foggy glass in here, brothers and sisters. Because all the windows go together according to the Bible. And so God wants to work in us. But you see, you're going, I know, and I understand, you're going, yeah, but you have no idea how hard things are in my life. Yet, and even if I do know, and I do know some of the stuff, I have no idea how it's affecting your soul. I don't know the pain of a troubled marriage, really. I I don't know the pain of a disease that you might have that nobody knows about. I don't know the pain that you might feel like because you're ostracized because you look a little bit different than somebody else. And you're saying, wait a minute, so I'm supposed to like bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness in the midst of my suffering? And you know what James says? Yep. And so he says, what we need to deal with all these things is wisdom. Not your wisdom. Not the wisdom of this world or the wisdom that comes from the internet or a little bit of this or a little bit of that, but the wisdom that comes from God. And so, I want us to look at what wisdom is, and I, I want to just spend a little bit of time with it. What, what is wisdom? And, and then I want us to see... Uh, why we can ask for wisdom. It's amazing what God says here through James. And then I want us to see 
how we're to ask for wisdom. You got it? So we got the what, the why, and the how. I don't do that that much, but so what is wisdom? Well, James says this, if any of you, any of you, anybody in this room, boy or girl, junior high, senior high kid, if you like wisdom, let him ask God. Well, if the purpose of trials is wisdom, that it bears something out, then you need to know what it is. And so, uh, you know, I I don't want to spend a whole lot of time with this, but we know this, that wisdom is absolutely not knowing stuff. Would y'all say that we live in a world that's fairly well-informed, more informed than it was like 10 years ago? They say that knowledge, some of you guys could tell me this, my understanding is it doubles about every year now. It used to double about every 500 years. Man, uh, iPhones and technology and, and all this stuff that we have, all this knowledge. But let me ask you, you look around the world, if you look at the world, how, 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 how much, what has that knowledge done for us? You know the Nobel Peace Prize? You know the reason he developed the Nobel Peace Prize? Because uh, the gentleman uh, that's named after created dynamite, and he thought that dynamite would be great. It can move, it can move dirt to build roads and Take on down old buildings, and guess what we learn to do with it? Kill each other. Now, you say, well, I would never do that. Well, you know, let me ask you this. What about, you know, it's, not, it's not the dynamite itself. It's what issues forth from why we do the dynamite. How much dynamite are you throwing out out there? You do it to your wife. You do it to your kids. You do it to your parents. You do it to your friends. You talk behind their back. And so, and so he had to come up with the Nobel Peace Prize to go, hey, wait a minute, that's not the purpose of dynamite. We have all the knowledge in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, you, I, you can look at all the different psychologists and all the different theories, whether it's Rogerian or, or Freudian, uh, behavioral, cognitive, whatever it may be. You see, it, 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 it doesn't solve the problem. But not only is wisdom not just knowledge and being educated, and I, by the way, I believe in good education, Okay. I have teachers here. I'm thankful for you. But, 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 there's, but it goes a little bit further that knowing the Bible is not wisdom. Knowing theology is not wisdom. You can know the Bible backwards and forwards. But the way you discover that it has no meaning whatsoever is, it's, number one, it's not really impacting anybody else. But when those trials of life come, you have no idea how to appropriate it in your life. And it's just a bunch of stuff that's out there. And you're condemned by it. But you know what wisdom is? Wisdom is knowledge that's put into practice. That's it. And the only way that the things that you know can be put into practice is this. If there's faith that's present. You understand that? Faith comes from God. Anybody can read the Bible. It's called Revelation. But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul gives the doctrine of illumination where he says, look, that's great. You have the Bible. It sits on your table. You read your Bible, have a quiet time, whatever it may be. But he says in Romans chapter, I mean, 1 Corinthians 2, that no man knows a man but the spirit of the man and to whom that person reveals himself. And nobody knows the mind of God but the spirit of God. 
and to those whom he reveals. For the natural man, the things of God, I'm talking about Bible knowledge people, are foolishness to him. Because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, the only way that you'll ever learn anything is if the Holy Spirit teaches you. Because wisdom comes from God. Now, how are you going to find out whether you have wisdom or whether you have knowledge? Well, God, if he loves you, he's going to bring trials in your life. To determine that it's what at the heart of what you do and the way it acts is faith that comes from God. To embrace all the benefits that are in Jesus Christ. And so that's what it is. Um, I could say a whole lot more about that. But I think you get my drift. And so before I go to the next point, you've got to start asking yourself, would I have a bunch of knowledge? Am I ever learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth? Or is that knowledge making me a husband who loves his wife? How about that? That I, by faith, no matter what my wife is like, I want to be Christ unto her. Matter of fact, some of the most hard-hearted wives can be wives of very religious men. They know a lot, and they know the Bible and Reformed faith and five points of Calvinism, but they're mean because they're not practicing it. Because, gentlemen, it's hard to love that way, isn't it? Or wise. I mean, you're talking about wisdom is wise. You know what the Bible says if you're a wife, if you're a Christian wife, you're supposed to do? Submit to your husband. As unto the Lord. Now, I want to tell you something. We're going to see this little bit of double-minded man or woman. They're going to go, whoa, hey, you woo. Hey, you see, because uh, to submit means faith is there. And faith looks to Christ who submitted unto death for us. You, you got that? That husband's right. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. You know, you'd be a lot happier for you to obey your parents, even if they're unreasonable. That's wisdom. Now, why can we ask for wisdom? You, you, you need wisdom, right? Life is coming at you and you need wisdom. Well, notice what he says in verse uh, 5 as well. No, no, look there, look what he says. For if any of you lacks wisdom, that's any of you, anybody here, you, you, you can be the wisest person in the world. If you lack wisdom... Let him ask God. For God gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, what, what does James tell you to do if you lack wisdom? And you go, I don't want to submit to my husband. He's a jerk. I, I, don't, really, I don't really want to just hang out with my wife all the time. She gives me a hard time. I don't really want to do what my parents say because you know what? They're old fuddy-duddies anyway. So if you're, but trust me, if you're living that way, we're going to see what you are here in a minute. But you know what? You don't have that option. We're to be what God calls us to be. So what does he say you can do and what, what I can do right now when life sucker punches you and you're kind of your head spinning? Okay, uh, well, James says uh, a couple of things. Uh, number one, admit uh, that you need wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, 
Uh, and so uh, sometimes life sucker punches you, and the worldling has nowhere to go in the midst of the round. But for us, you know, before the bell rings, we can go to the corner. And there James is in your corner. Say, so how's your head feeling? It's, well, it's spinning. Well, he wants to train us. He wants to teach us. And so the first key is to admit that you lack wisdom. One of my favorite Proverbs says this. Rebuke a fool, and he'll hate you for the rebuke. But rebuke a wise man, and he will thank you for the rebuke, and he will grow, or she will grow, in their wisdom. So the only people that think they're stupid... And the only people that really are wise are the ones who feel like they're fools. And the ones who are fools who think they understand the way things ought to be are the ones uh, that uh, hate your rebuke. And so you admit that you lack wisdom. Hey, let me ask you something. Are you right now, is things so spinning out of control for you right now that you're going, I, I love Christ. I mean, I do. I love the Lord. But man, I have no idea how to respond to this situation. It, it's not, the tri- it's not the severity of the trial. You understand that? It is the length that takes you down. And I hate to tell you this, but you're in a 15-round fight. And the only way to get out of that fight is one of two ways. Either you're defeated and you don't endure, and Jesus says only those who endure, or you make it 15 rounds to your death. But you're fighting, and you endure. I'm just saying what the Bible says. So how can we endure? Well, notice he says two things about God, why you should ask God. Number one, he says, because God is generous. Y'all see that? Is God, brothers and sisters, let me ask you, is God generous? How do we know that God is generous? He did not withhold his son. And when you and I say, because of unbelief, well, he's not generous, he's not good, he doesn't know my situation Are you kidding me? He loved us so much that he gave his only son. And the son submitted to the father and lived by faith. Because the father and the son and the Holy Spirit are generous. And not only is God generous. And the reason we're not wiser is, you know, I'll tell you why you don't ask sometimes. Because you're afraid of God, aren't you? Well, if I really ask him to make me like Jesus, who knows what's going to happen? That's why your faith needs to mature, doesn't it? Because, you, because you know, here's what Jesus is looking for. In a true disciple, man or woman, I don't care how old you are. Lord, you scare me. But you do with me what you want to because though you scare me, I know that you're good and you're faithful and you're powerful. So, so, so he says, you should ask God because he's able to give. And he freely gives. Matter of fact, it's the present part of so. It's like, that's his nature is to give you. Uh, and the scripture tells you, open your mouth, doesn't it? And God will pour stuff into it. But when he pours stuff in our mouth and we begin to grow and mature, it's so that we might endure. That we might be like Jesus. Because the only Jesus some people are going to believe is not what you say, but the one they see. But not only does he say that God is generous. Notice what it says. This is great, isn't it? He gives without 
reproach. Y'all see that? Without reproach. Well, I can't ask God for this. I mean, I asked him for it last week, and, and I shouldn't be doing that, and I did it again, and I'm having an addiction that's here, and I'm not wise, and I'm stupid, and I'm this. And, I'm, and then Satan comes in there, and he starts accusing you. Okay? But you know when it says that God will give you without reproach? Here's what it's like. Um, and then I'll come to my last point. Great illustration. Uh, there's a friend of mine that I know, and uh, great guy. Nice, the greatest guy in the world. Nice, tenderhearted. He told me the story about when he was in high school, he uh, wrecked a car. And it was a nice car, and he said it was great. Initially, my dad said, hey, son, don't worry about it. Man, I'm just glad you're not injured. I'm, I'm just happy you're, you're well. But then over the years, every time he would see his dad, he'd go off to college, come back. You know what his dad would do? He'd always bring up how stupid that was. They, you know, you wrecked the car. That was stupid. Now, his dad did this for like 15 or 20 years. And finally, this guy is becoming angry and angry. So he finally went to, to see somebody. About it, and they asked him, uh, uh, the counselor said, well, what would you want to say to your dad right now if they were standing here? And, and this friend of mine said, he just stood up, in, uh, just, just like got up and just started screaming at the counselor. Where the counselor said, whoa, I'm not your dad. <laughs> and I uh, started cursing. You see, because his father is not like our father in heaven. Yeah, uh, son, I'll, I'll help you out here. And I'll tell you dads, if you do this, don't do this anymore. Yeah, uh, son, I'll help you out. But you know, that was really stupid what you did. Like we're not stupid as dads. But you see, God gives out without reproach. Please, the reason you're not coming and saying, I trust you with my life is because you don't believe that. Isn't that the gospel? That he'll give and give and give and give. And my he say, well, I don't even know if I believe this. You walk out of here. You know what? Six o'clock this, tonight, you say, well, Lord, I didn't believe any of this. But Lord, would you please give me wisdom? He'll, he, <laughs> he'll do it. Because he, he's not like us. Now, here's the last thing to see. I could say more about that. Here's the last thing as we come to the Lord's table. That's, we see what wisdom is and why we can ask for wisdom because he's good and he's gracious. By the way, again, that word generous, you know what that word means? Single-minded. Now, I've got to tell you that because it's going to talk about double-minded people. God's single-minded toward giving. He's not like this condition, that condition. He is single-minded on it. But there is a condition that's here. Uh, as to how we're to ask. Now, I want to close on this. You say, oh, now he's going to beat me up. Maybe a little bit if the text does. If it'll burn out the dross. But notice what he says here. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord because he or she is a double-minded person, unstable in all their ways. Do y'all see the word faith there? The word faith is necessary if you're to grow in wisdom. So here's the question. What are you putting your faith in? Because the one that comes from God is single-minded. And it looks to all the benefits that we just read about. 
You know what the double-minded person is? Or the double soul, the uh, diasychos, it says there. It's a, it's a word that only James uses. It means a person who has two souls. You have one foot in the world, and you have one foot. Yeah, I go to Redeemer, and I believe in Jesus, and that's not it. But heck, no, the, I'm not going to do that. When it talks about doubt, it's not talking about intellectual doubt, my brothers and sisters. He's talking about doubting the goodness and grace of God, you see. And so if you have one foot looking this way and, and kind of looking that way, then the scripture has a warning for you. You're double-minded. You have two souls. But when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know what that Greek word for pure in heart is? It's not like, oh, how Farnsworth is so pure in heart and great. No, it means an undivided soul. You are fixed upon Christ. And trials come so that that faith might grow. Because guess what? Tomorrow you got to do round 10. And you got to do round 11 and you don't get knocked out. You want to endure. Because the only way out of that ring is victory. Now, how's that victory come? And I close on this. You know, imagine James is your uh, trainer and your head's spinning. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you know, you don't want to go back out in the ring, right? And James says, I tell you what, I want you to lay this one out. You hold this one out. I got somebody else come in here and fight for you. And here comes your champion. And it's Jesus. Who is our wisdom? But here's the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is this. That the way he fought the enemy you can't fight. Which is Satan. Is he was not only knocked out. But he was killed. And here is the irony of everything. That he was killed because somebody had to pay or your sins. And, and so in his humanity, boom, he dies for you. Knocked out. That's how you survive. But in his deity, you couldn't keep him in the grave. And so he's raised, and the victory is ours. And you know what it's like now being a, you know, being a, and this, I close on this, but you remember when, uh, I don't know if you've ever done it with your kids, but when they're little and they're fighting your uncle or something, you know, they're doing this and you're back behind them, you know, you're holding their hands, punching that way. So this is what it is now. The victory is won. So God calls us to fight, doesn't he? And if you're not willing to fight, and, you, and, and your greatest goal, and trust me, if you're a Christian, you want to be like Jesus. To your wife, to your kids to your church members, to the people you work with. That's the wisdom we need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're the captain of our salvation. You have won the fight, the good fight. Uh, and you won that fight by being weak. And Lord, we hate being weak. We like being strong. We like being in control. And if a person here doesn't know Christ, their whole world will shatter when trials come and take away their happiness. But Father, not so for us. And we thank you that these trials and tribulations that even Jesus you went through is for the perfecting of our faith that we might be unto God 
uh, uh, those who seek to live for his glory and the good of those around us. Work that in us, in Jesus' name. Amen.